Hello and welcome to 100% Real with Ruby with Ruby times Bon 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 Tom Bainbridge and I did the whole let's do Bon Tainbridge <laughs> and we'll do like Shuby that doesn't work but something like that yeah <laughs> today we're talking about artificial sweeteners and I ended up coming up with quite a few topics that we're going to dig into around artificial sweeteners because some people, every single time I mention to switch to a Diet Coke, I'm always slapped with, oh, but artificial sweeteners are worse than sugar. Oh, mm. but that's crap for you. Oh, but that's fake for you. Oh, and then there's research that we will dig into, but it's like, oh, but they cause cravings. They they don't help like there are people that still have artificial sweeteners but they're still overweight oh it causes cancer oh and then there's at least like there's these headline topics there's news articles there's people on their whole i'm a hippie yo yo let's make everything fully natural putting up slogans like it increases cancer it makes you gain more weight it's bad for hormones the list goes on so a great way to start this conversation is artificial sweeteners are they safe and if they are safe do we include them in our diet or are there other things we need to consider and why are people who do consume artificial sweeteners not losing weight if that's the case and why do others leave, like start craving more sweet foods? Let's go from there. For sure. Um, and I think that's a really good way of delineating the questions because it's often, often these questions are conflated, right? Like the the question of um, the question of do artificial sweeteners cause weight loss, and can artificial sweeteners help weight loss? They're two very different questions. Um, in the similar way that drinking water, drinking water doesn't cause weight loss, but drinking adequate water can help with weight loss. And so the the direct causation and the can it help with this are two different questions. Um, and similarly, the question of whether they cause weight loss and whether they're safe are two different questions. And I find that people conflate these two. Um, so I think we can probably start right from the beginning. So artificial sweeteners. Um, is probably a bit of a misnomer. What we mean when we talk about artificial sweeteners are in the research generally referred to as non-nutritive sweeteners. So these are sweeteners that do not provide a meaningful amount of nutrition. And there's two primary ways that they do this. Um, you've got artificial sweeteners like aspartum or aspartame, depending on whether you're Americanized or not. Um, and the reason that aspartame or aspartame doesn't provide you a meaningful number of calories is not because it doesn't contain calories, because it does, but it's because you consume it in such microscopic amounts that that if you ate carbohydrate at that amount, it wouldn't provide meaningful calories because you're talking about milligrams. Um, but you can metabolize aspartame. So when you eat aspartame, it does end up going into your blood and stuff can happen and we'll get into that then we've got ones like uh, sucralose which is the one that's in um is sucralose in stevia i think sucralose is the one in stevia um, no it's stevia or spartan sucralose is oh shit what's the other no, one no, no, no. stevia is completely different stevia is no not stevia, sorry um 
What are the? I don't know. There's there's aspartum, which is the one that you tend to find in like Diet Coke. Uh, that's usually aspartum and acesulfam K, whatever the fuck, how you haven't pronounced that. Um, and then there's so sucralose, wait, which is the I one that you tend to I'm, find in protein shakes and stuff. I know what you're trying to say. Sucralose Thank is the one that you find in the Splenda. Pack. Splenda. That's the word I was after. Thank you. That was going to keep me awake tonight. I appreciate that a lot. Um, so yeah. Sucralose you can't actually digest. So when you eat that, it basically passes through your digestive tract and it leaves in your stool as it was when it went in, broadly. Um, and that might seem like a bit of a nitpick, but that leads to meaningful distinctions around the way that these things are handled in our body. And I think it's important to delineate between the two, because when, for example, someone will say that, oh, artificial sweeteners cause cancer, what we're saying is that artificial sweeteners interact with our cells in such a way that it can cause DNA damage. And of course, it's therefore meaningful as to how we digest these things. Because if we're talking about, for example, sucralose, so the one that's in the thing that Ruby just said, um, if we're going to say, oh, well, they can cause brain cancer, well, sucralose physically can't because it will never, ever come into contact with your brain because it's going to pass through your digestive system on on unaltered it doesn't end up in your blood it can't end up in your brain um when we're talking about something like aspartum well that does enter the body so is that potentially cancerous and what we therefore need to understand is right well what happens to these things post-digestion right so one of the main claims that many people make is that aspartum leads to brain tumors and to back this up, what you can do is you can point at a number of rodent trials. So there are a number of rodent trials in which you give a rat, get loads of aspartum, and it starts to develop brain tumors. Um, the problem you've got, though, is the means of delivery is injection. The reason being, you need to, in that rodent study, give that rat a really, really high concentration of aspartum to cause those brain tumors. And rats just won't drink the water because it tastes rubbish. If you ever drink, like, if you ever have a, an opportunity to taste pure aspartum, um, and you can sometimes buy it off, like, ingredient shops and stuff, uh, it tastes horrendous. In really high doses, it's bitter as anything. It tastes minging. So it's not too surprising that rats won't drink it. But when you inject a rat with aspartum, you therefore place aspartum in the blood. And as a human being, aspartum, when you consume it, it's broken down because it's a protein. As we know, when you digest proteins, it gets broken down into its individual amino acids, and it's those individual amino acids that present in the blood. Aspartum is exactly the same. When you consume aspartum, it gets broken down into aspartic acid, which is just a typical, you, you get that in like chicken, um, and phenylalanine, which you also get in chicken. Um, and you also get a little bit of methanol, but it's like a tiny amount, it's irrelevant, you get more in tomatoes, it's, it's fine. So when we talk about I can see a hand up from the thing. When we talk about that these things can potentially cause harm, the first thing that we need to ask ourselves is, is there a mechanism by which these things can cause harm in the doses that we typically consume them? And study after study after study after study has confirmed that there is absolutely no mechanism by which aspartum could cause cancer in humans in normal physiological doses, as in in the amount that you would drink. And the same thing is through with sucralose. In fact, sucralose is so unlikely to cause cancer that within the regulatory research and stuff in order to consider it safe, it was essentially confirmed that the molecule that sucralose is, 
has absolutely no possible way of causing cancer. It physically couldn't do it, even if you bathed in it, even if you ate it by the spoonful, there's no mechanism by which that could happen. And just before I let you dive in, that's interesting because that tells you that anybody that says otherwise is not being led by evidence. They're being led by something else. And the most fascinating part of this is, to sound like a conspiracy theorist, I don't care, a lot of the initial idea that things like aspartam can cause cancer can literally be brought back to a chain email that went around in like the mid 90s that was apparently written by someone called Nancy Markle, who doesn't exist. It was literally a chain email that went around on the early internet and almost all of this aspartam causes cancer, blah, 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 blah. It draws back to that email. It's not evidence-based. It doesn't come from research. It's literally just some shit that someone wrote on the internet and people have just repeated ad nauseum for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, it's people do that about everything. That's just like when you see fitfluencers just grab some random title and read the abstract and say this did this. And I saw that in a couple of Facebook groups, which is linking to what you said about the fact that we have a spider in our diet, regardless of whether we're going to actually add it into our foods or not. There were people worried about erythritol because there was a study that came out saying that it causes blood clots and heart disease and all this other stuff. But the thing with erythritol, if you ever hear anything on this, is our body endogenously produces it in the pentose phosphate pathway, which is part of your body's way of making DNA. So... Mm -hmm. The fact that the markers were higher in the people that were sick and close to death, well, the test subjects themselves were ones that were elderly. They already had issues wrong with them. So the pentose phosphate pathway was not performing optimally to start with. So they had higher blood markers. But the thing is, the blood markers, which if you've listened to our past podcast, like our past podcast together, Okay, cool. So what? What does this say about anything? Well, mm -hmm. those blood markers do not indicate how much was actually taken in via the diet. That was just what the body itself was producing to a higher level. And it's, I remember when I was really deep in my studies, when I had so much time to study that it was literally all I ever did, that... <laughs> Like, so, so much has changed since lockdowns and I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with that as well it's like we're getting busier this is actually really relevant because it's like ever since lockdowns people have tried to find ways to be more productive and then after that they we've not stopped down we've just we've not slowed down we've just found more and more ways to fill our plates there's so much to do all the time people do not have time to even stop to pause to think about the bullshit that's going on so instead they keep trying to find online to find the quickest hacks the quickest this the quickest that you see a headline and then all of a sudden people are parroting these headlines and anything else is like no no no. i heard it from this person i heard it from this person and that's how these myths are on artificial sweetness spread as an example mm. but anyway way back then it was like oh but stevia is better because it's natural natural doesn't inherently mean better and if you go into the research i remember drawing up a graph the amount of stevia that like the maximum amount of stevia that you can have before it reaches like a toxic level or it starts having any implications 
is actually a lot lower than aspartamase, than sucralose, than all of these others. And I pulled up some figures. It's five milligrams per kilogram for stevia. And for things like aspartamase, it's 50 milligrams per kilo. Aspartamase is over 10 times, you can have over 10 times more aspartamase for a safe level of it compared to stevia. Oh, but stevia is natural. So what? It doesn't mean that it's just better for you. And then mm -hmm. there were arguments on the gut microbiome. And mm -hmm. there has been no research that has concluded it to be negative to the gut microbiome. But everyone is individual. I cannot tolerate a single sugar alcohol in my body. But sugar alcohols are those that end with all. I consume quite a lot of sucralose. I buy sucralose by the bag. I add it to my oats. Like the tiniest little bit is all I need. I add that to my oats. I love sucralose. That's like the one that I like. We all have ones that we like. And I do have to say Diet Coke is absolutely disgusting. They have to have a different sweetener in Diet Coke compared to Coke Zero or No Sugar because the No Sugar and Coke Zero is nicer than Diet Coke. But that's the thing that people can tolerate different things. Diet Coke gives me a headache. So it's based on what works for you. And yeah, guess what? If I have more sweet foods, then I'm going to want more sweet foods because that's my personality type. But maybe for someone else, it actually stops them having sweet food. So you can't put everyone into the same bucket. And that's also why for me, I say I hate sweet food because I know how it makes me feel. It makes me never really feel satisfied. Yeah, I enjoy the food. It's tasty. It's delicious. But it's never going to make me feel like truly satisfied because I always feel empty at the end of it. So it's knowing yourself with that. And yeah, the research... No, there's nothing on the gut health, nothing on the microbiome. It's relevant to you. And yes, some people get more gut distress. If you have IBS, you'll get more gut distress. If you're a highly stressed out individual, you'll get more gut distress because your gut is more permeable slash leaky. So you can't digest things as well that way. And then you mentioned nutritive sweeteners and non-nutritive sweeteners. There are sweeteners that come with a lot more calories than the others. And not like that really makes that big of an impact, but one would raise your insulin levels a little bit more. But then again, that doesn't lead to any outcome that is worth really talking on because it's the same with freaking fasting. Like if you have a freaking like milk in your coffee that takes you out of a fasting state, quote unquote, but so what? if fat loss is your goal because that's the total calories like it's the intention behind the action you were doing so that that's also the same as saying oh i had bcas well it, bcas you don't need at all full stop like it's just have a way shake you're wasting your money just swipe that idea completely but people used to have BCAs to stop them eating in the morning so that they don't take themselves out of a fasting state. But hello, hello, BCAs actually raise your insulin levels too. So that was just a roundabout way to say, doesn't matter which way you go, it's still going to have a little bit of an impact. But that impact doesn't really have an outcome. I'll probably let you talk a little bit more on that part as well to go into whatever you want to talk on next. Yeah, sure. I mean, so what you said about sugar alcohols and um, 
your your gut response to them it makes perfect sense so similar to what i was saying about sucralose how that passes through your digestive system unaltered uh, sugar alcohols broadly do as well and they'll get into your intestine there they can ferment and so some sugar alcohols in fact a sugar alcohol in a small amount could theoretically be useful for your microbiome but it does ferment and so if you're particularly sensitive to like fermentable well fodmaps so fermentable oligo mono and disaccharides and polyols um yeah you're gonna experience a negative response to that um but so to respond to the good health thing itself um because stevia and sucralose pass through your digestive system uninhibited that means they do present in your micro well they do present where your microbiome is and so it stands to reason that there's probably an effect now in in vitro trials so an in vitro trial it just in latin that means in glass so what we're talking about is like test tubes and that um if you get a petri dish which is a dish that's got like a, a nutrient thing in it that you can grow bacteria in if you inoculate that nutrient thing and try to grow bacteria on it with increasing concentrations of either stevia or sucralose you will get a smaller colony or a slower growing colony i can't remember which one it is of like certain bacteria that's associated with good health and so it's probably the case that if you eat large amounts of sucralose or large amounts of stevia it's probably the case that eventually that is going to have some kind of effect on your microbiome but what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that the microbiome is not an endpoint. I don't give a shit about my microbiome. I want to know what my microbiome is doing for me. And so if I change my microbiome in a way that doesn't affect my health, I couldn't care less. If I change my microbiome in a way that does affect my health, that's potentially bad. And we don't really know what that is yet. So there's not been enough human data in actual living human beings to suggest that the microbiome changes that are associated with an increased intake of something like sucralose or stevia has any meaningful effect on your health outcomes get a sneeze hair fever beautiful um and so while it might be the case that if you're particularly concerned if you've got some gi issues and if you notice that those gi issues do get worse if you have something like stevia or sucralose or sugar alcohols it's probably a good idea as ruby says to like reduce those from your diet but that's not the same as saying that these things are bad or that they're broadly harmful and to kind of link into the next bit because i do want to return to the behavior thing so I'll, I'll let you dive in after this and then we'll probably close off on the behavior side of things with cravings and that um what a lot of people are probably thinking about, or if they're aware of it, they will be, is that there was a recent WHO report. So World Health Organization recently did a, a big report on the inclusion of artificial sweeteners in your diet. And they basically said to not include artificial sweeteners in your diet. And this requires explanation. Um, as someone who is very supportive of the World Health Organization and who relies on their um, information quite frequently, I think it's important for me to take them seriously. Um, it would be in, inconsistent not to. Um, however, I did have some issues with this report that I can kind of explain in a way that's fairly intuitive. So the first thing is one of the main reasons that they suggest that you shouldn't include artificial sweeteners in your diet is that they don't seem to have a good effect. But I don't think that's the point. Like if I was to give you and we'll, we'll not even use an analogy we'll just use artificial sweeteners if i was to give you diet coke 
and it didn't help you lose weight, that doesn't mean that diet coke was bad. It just means it didn't cause you to lose weight. Now, given that we know that weight loss is created by a calorie deficit, that shouldn't be too surprising that just drinking diet coke in and of itself won't help you lose weight. Um, and so I think that's a bad premise to begin with. I don't think you can say, oh, it doesn't help you lose weight, therefore it's bad. I think they're two different questions. And so the question is, well, is it bad? Now, when you look at the WHO report, they did a big, it's called a systematic review, which is where you take the results of a whole bunch of different research, basically all of the research in a given area, and you say, right, what does all of this research conclude? And within that, they included two broad categories of research. You've got observational research, which is where you take big ass surveys and make correlations. And then you've got randomized controlled trials or intervention studies where you take a given number of people and you do stuff to them and see what happens. And these are two different ways of doing science. Now, if you look at the observational research, what you generally find is that the inclusion of artificial sweeteners in your diet is sometimes associated with worse outcomes. Sometimes it's associated with better outcomes. Sometimes it's associated with no difference. Now, we can go into each one of those. The primary thing that I want listeners to pay attention to is that whenever you're looking at um, observational research like that, um, you've got something called reverse causality. So if I was to show you a group of 10,000 people who drink Diet Coke, and I was to show you 10,000 people who don't drink Diet Coke, and the Diet Coke drinkers get worse outcomes, your intuition could lead you to think, oh, well, that's because Diet Coke causes worse outcomes. But it might be the case that people who are going to get worse outcomes drink Diet Coke for a given reason. Now, for a very long time, the evidence, not the evidence, sorry, for a very long time, the advice has been from people like myself and like Ruby, well, if you drink large amounts of like regular Coke, swap to Diet Coke, that's probably a decent swap. It's an easy thing to do. It's going to reduce your calorie intake, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we're going to give that advice to people who are predisposed to cardiovascular events, to diabetes, et cetera, because we're going to give that advice to people who are overweight. Now, that means there is a reasonable chance that overweight people across a population are more likely to drink diet drinks than non-overweight people because those overweight people are making that decision in an effort to lose weight. And the researchers in the observational trials that found negative outcomes did not do a sufficient job to rule out reverse causation. And so it's not that we can dismiss that evidence, but it's that that evidence isn't as clear cut as it might appear to be. Now, if you look at the randomized controlled trials, however, universally, if you ask people in a test setting to swap their diet coke for regular, sorry, to swap their regular coke for diet coke, other drinks exist, I'm just using coke because it's easy to say, um, they tend to lose weight because they are losing, they are reducing their calorie intake. Um, and so when the WHO said there's no good evidence that artificial sweeteners help weight loss, they're relying more heavily on the observational research, which hasn't really ruled out all of the reverse causation and everything, and not ignoring, but they're underweighting the randomized control trial evidence, in my opinion. Now, if we look at this on an individual basis, and this is where we venture into the realm of anecdote, reducing your full sugar soft drink intake and swapping it for diet coke as long as you don't then go oh i'm drinking diet coke therefore i can have two burgers now um you're gonna cut calories out your diet and so weight loss will ensue and so not only are these things safe because there's no mechanism for them to be not safe um outside of individual changes in microbiome effects um they're either neutral in which case it doesn't matter or they might help with weight loss if they help with behavioral changes. And so for that reason, I would say that that's something that's 
a worthy inclusion in your diet. Yeah, broadly. I completely agree with this as well because what exactly are they are they getting subbed for? A lot of the time I get my girls to get a Diet Coke instead of getting alcohol, for example. Yeah. And they drink a lot of alcohol when they feel like they need some sort of social glue. And the other thing with this, with the behavioral side of things, if you think about the whole cravings thing, if you're really used to just hyper palatable foods all the freaking time, then that isn't really going to be helping your health focused behaviors because then everything else that you want to do is going to be full of like loading on the sources, loading on the flavorsome stuff that can add more calories to your absolute diet. And there are people that have those taste buds wired to just want sugar, 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 sugar. So that's when it doesn't serve you, which it never used to serve me before. And then that's when bland foods become unappealing to you and everything needs to have some sort of flavor so that's when it can start to work against you but it is a very very beneficial i would say it should be the number one step crucial step to shifting your habits because you can cut calories out without putting in any effort if you already drink regular soda if you put sugars in your coffee every morning that is such an easy way to start to cut calories without putting in a lot of effort and then there's also the whole artificial sweeteners lead to weight gain that people believe because hormones or whatever they want to say Tom just made that very clear that that's not the case because you're switching something that's like a 200 calorie drink for something that's about like 10 calories no it's the fact that you just had that as your means of feeling good about the large happy meal that you bought from Macca's slash McDonald's. Yeah, so. um, just quickly. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned it. Like, first of all, I couldn't agree more with what you were just saying about their behavioral stuff. So I'm going to get you to riff on that again. Um, but yeah, on the, the, the hormone thing. Yeah, people, oh, artificial sweeteners spike insulin. No, they don't. Insulin doesn't get spiked because of flavor insulin is not something that responds meaningfully to what your tongue experiences insulin is released from the beta cells of the pancreas upon contact with glucose and amino acids so no <laughs> just no that's not how that works um but yeah what you were saying about the behavior side of things and becoming so accustomed to extremely palatable foods that things like water become something that you can't drink i think that's a huge problem yeah that, that's what I was meant to say. I think I was saying before that they raise your blood sugar levels and insulin. No, they don't. I wasn't, I didn't mean it that way. I meant the BCAs do that. And yes. if you're having anything with glucose in it, that is what raises your blood sugar levels slash insulin levels. So no, mm -hmm. it doesn't do that because they're not metabolized in the same way as sugar. But mm -hmm. it is still breaking your fast if you're having something to eat or drink that has meaningful calories. That's what I was trying to say. So that I I hope I didn't confuse anybody when I said that. No, no, that that was clear. I was responding to what you were saying about when yeah. people mentioned hormones and stuff. No, what yeah, you said about is was really clear. Because <laughs> I, I was talking about insulin levels being spiked, and I realized that I conf I confused the two together when I was just trying oh, to no. say calories. Okay, cool. As long as everyone understands that. Well, that's our episode on artificial sweeteners. Next week, we will be covering another topic, which is still to be discussed. But I feel like 
we need to go over something that's more on the mindset side of things that a lot of people get wrong. So we'll have a little, we'll, we'll leave that one in the mystery box for you guys to listen on to next week. So with that, thank you for listening. And Cheers, everyone. If you've got any suggestions of what we can talk about, do message Ruby or myself because we can cover whatever you want. Yes, let us know. And we will see you. You will hear us on the next podcast.